Welcome to Body of Crime, your go-to true crime podcast, where we plunge headfirst into the gripping world of criminal mysteries. Join your hosts, Jose Medina, Crystal Garcia, and Alicia Anaya, as we deliver the full stories, immersing you in the heart of each case. With spine-chilling cases, in-depth analysis, captivating interviews, and a comprehensive examination of the evidence, embark on a thrilling journey with us as we explore bone-chilling cases from around the globe. Whether you're a seasoned true crime enthusiast or a fresh face in the genre, we guarantee to keep you on the edge of your seat. So put on your detective hat, grab your notepad, and get ready to dive into the thrilling world of body of crime. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, 1,270 per day. Every nine minutes, the victim is a child. Only 25 out of every 1,000 perpetrators will end up in prison. That's 2.5% or 25 perpetrators. If these numbers are not staggering enough, only 19% of sexual assaults are reported. In a class of 25 students with 15 females and 10 males, 6.25 females will be sexually assaulted, compared to 0.33% or less than one of their male counterparts. Of all those assaulted, only 0.16% will go to prison, meaning that in just this scenario, 6.72 offenders, just in relation to this class, are in our communities. Known violent offenders such as Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy had prior sexual in nature arrests prior to conviction of murder. 63% of violent offenders will be rearrested for another violent crime with the average timeline of zero to 18 months. Where do these occur? 55% at or near the victim's home. 15% in an open public space. 12% at or near a relative's home. 10% in an enclosed but public area such as a garage or parking lot. 8% occur on school property. What were they doing at the time of the assault? 48% were sleeping or performing another activity at home. 29% were traveling to and from school, work, or running errands. 12% were working. 7% were attending school. And 5% were doing an unknown or other activity. So if you're one of the individuals who's criticizing parents about allowing sleepovers or not being vigilant enough, let these numbers soak in. There is a much higher probability that if your child is assaulted, it's at your home, a family member's home, or in or on their way to school. We have to change this because it is a huge problem. In the meantime though, we need to address the impact from prevention to awareness to healing. And here to speak with us today is Crystal Strong. At 16 years old, Crystal experienced and survived a life-changing and a violent crime at the hands of Jesse McFadden was gained notoriety for the recent mass murders in Oklahoma before taking his own life. Crystal has become a symbol of courage and strength to millions of young girls and women by sharing her story, her experience, and advocating for changes in the justice system that has failed time and time again. Welcome, Crystal. We appreciate you spending time with us this evening. You're very welcome. Your courage and your strength through all this has been truly inspirational, and we know that this story is going to change a lot of lives. So before we get into this, I I wanted to ask you, did you grow up in Oklahoma? 
Uh, yeah. I, um, so my mom lived in uh, Kansas. Her and my dad, you know, broke up when I was real young. And my dad lived in between like Canadian shores and Indianola. They're kind of, the, I say it's always one town, but they're actually two different places. They're like a mile from each other or so, or like five miles, maybe if that. So yeah, I just kind of went back and forth because at the time I was my dad's only child until he found out about his other daughter. So what about school? Did you, so were you kind of bouncing around from school to school or? So I was kind of spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> so I would stay with my mom or whatever for like, they would never let me go back and forth. I would have to stay a year, like wherever. And then I would be at like Indianola school. And then I would come back to Kansas and go to the school with like Harrington or wherever. Those were my, like I had two main schools. It's, I know that's weird. No, it's, it's not too weird. <laughs> our background is in the military. So we bounce around a lot and our daughter went to a lot of different schools too. So we, we get that. She tells me all the time. I've been to 12 schools. <laughs> as a student, how, how were you as a student? Did, were you into any sports or did you do anything like that? No, I, I really didn't play sports. I just kind of did my own thing, really. What was your favorite subject in school? Um, I liked English. Okay. Do you like to write? And are you a writer? Yeah. Yeah. I don't writer, but (laughs) (laughs) English was also my favorite subject in school too, and I I liked writing stories and stuff like that. So that was always something that intrigued me. After elementary school and going into middle school, how was that transition for you? It was okay. I mean, I just like I said, I just did my own thing and hung out with a little bit of everybody and. That was it. What was high school like for you? Um, very fun. I had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you the, the social butterfly? Oh, uh, yeah. I'd yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your best experiences in high school? Um, I don't know. Like when I hung out there, I just I had like four or five main friends and we all kind of just stayed at her house and we would always we were always together. That's, cool. That's really so, cool. Are those still your friends today? Actually, yes. I just visited her a couple of weeks ago. So. That's oh, awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's really great. After high school, did you go to college? Did you start working? What did you do? Actually, after the whole thing with, with Jesse, I actually ended up rebelling on my mother quite a bit. And I kind of fell down a dark path a little bit. And then I ended up dropping out of school my senior year, actually. I stuck out as long as I could. But between like all the court cases and all the counseling and all the stuff I was doing, I... I I just kind of gave up on it. And I, I mean, I hated myself for it later, but I did go go back and got my GED. So oh, that's really good. That's awesome. I got my GED. So yeah. what have you done um, since then? So like, where, where are you at today? Um, I live in Kansas. Um, after everything happened, I'm going to have my mom came and picked me up for my dad's and I really haven't been back since. I mean, a couple of maybe a handful of times just because my dad is buried out of my, my uncle's farm. So I go out there and visit his grave when I can and see my stepmom because she lives there. But we always meet up in a different town. Gotcha. How old were you when when you met McFadden? Had you known him for a while or? So he was four or five years older than me. And I don't know if I like suppressed the memories or what, but apparently we were. So when I went and spent some time with my friend, she's like, Crystal, he was in in the high school with us and this and that. And I was like, why do I not remember him? And she's like, well, because he was weird. So I honestly I remember Cody, his brother. That's because he was in the same class as me, but he never hardly said anything. It was real quiet. He's been described so. by by some of the other family members too. Um, in some of the interviews that I've heard, um, that they say he's very awkward, socially awkward, and very strange, off putting kind of. The only the couple of times that I was ever really around him was my friend, not not Jesse's wife Holly, but the the Holly from years ago that everybody's yeah. so confused about. So. I grew up with her from like the time I was like five years old and 
until I hit like 13. And then I just kind of went my separate ways and got my own group of friends and separated myself from the whole situation. And then she, I think she said she was only with Jesse for a couple of weeks. Oh, gotcha. She said he was odd too. Um, but she never, she never expected that he would do anything like that. So was she with him prior to, to what, what occurred with you? Or They were dating. Yes. They were dating when it actually happened because when he had showed up at my house, he, he was like, somebody was beating on the door real like late, like two, 3 a.m. And I was like, gosh, who is that? And I finally jumped up at the door and I was like, what's up? What do you need? And he said, hey, Holly, kick me out. I need somewhere to go. And I said, dude, not my problem. You're going to go somewhere else. Call Holly. And he's like, next thing I know, I'm being shoved through my door and it's just a whole mess. How old were you when, when everything happened? Um, I was 16. 16. I had just turned 16, I believe, because my birthday was September 25th. And did you have any interactions with um with Jesse leading up to that situation? Like any like type of like signs of like manipulation or flirtation or anything like that leading up to that? Or? So I, I remember very distinctly, um, he would always, and I still, I don't know what this means, but he would always call me hatchback ass and he made fun of me a lot. Um, when he did see me, I'd only seen him a, like a few times. Um, and that was when he was with Holly, um, just because Holly and I grew up together. I remember just being, drugged through through my living room and he's throwing me I had one of those you know metal futons in my bedroom so he drug me through there and then I was on the futon and then my dad had like these they're like a western belt but they're like made of like I don't know like some sort of a cloth or something I can't if I seen a picture I could tell you but I can't really describe it but anyways um so he was tying my feet and stuff up with that and then bungee cord I believe and like ripping my clothes off and I'm like, dude, please like stop, stop, stop. And I remember just screaming so loud about that time. He jumped on top of me, had a knife in my throat saying, B, if you don't shut your mouth, I'm going to kill you right here. Was anybody, ho- I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to. No, me. nobody, was home. nobody was home. Okay. Uh, my stepmom, actually, I guess he had went and stayed with her mom in Arrowhead. It's like five miles the other way. She was real close with her mother. And because I had said I was staying with another friend, but really I lied. She never stopped. Um, actually in the middle of this, assault a couple of my friends had drove by and my stepmom but nobody stopped because the trailer was really dark and I had left my truck in a different town and that just wasn't like me I never left my truck anywhere my truck was always with me right Wow. so they just didn't even think to stop I guess so um he had had me in there and he was on top of me doing all that and like at that time I remember telling like when I described it to my like my mom and stuff when I got home she's like are you okay and stuff? And I was like, mom, I don't remember anything really. I just, it just felt like I was having out of body experience. Cause I remember the last thing after he put the knife to my throat, told me to shut up. I just, I remember tears just rolling out of my eyes and I sat straight up and I looked him in the eye and I said, Jesse, you do whatever the fuck you got to do. And you get the F out of my house and don't ever come back. And he, he was moaning and carrying on and doing all these things to me, which I was so in and out of it that I just don't remember hardly any of the, like, it seemed like it just went on forever. And then finally, I was like, he just left me tied there and was like pacing the floor. And I'm like, Jesse, are you going to untie me? You got to untie me. I promise I won't tell. He said, no, you're going to tell on me. And I said, no, me and Holly, you're cool. Like, we go way back. I promise I won't tell on you. Just let me go. Untie me. He finally um, proceeds to untie me. He's like, go wash up. And like, he's, he's giving me all these orders to do. And I had a bathroom off of, so me and my dad had switched bedrooms. And so I took like the master ba- bedroom, I guess you could call it. And it had a bathroom off of it like a shower a toilet and a sink and I'm like washing up and doing ever like doing these things that he's telling me to do and he's gathering items from around the house I guess can you tell me what what exactly he was having you do he was having me like wash my hands like wash up and I never did get dressed in the mix of this I do remember staying naked 
and I'm like, like I'm just sitting in the bathroom, just sobbing, and I'm scrubbing my whole body. He had, he did have me get in the shower. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, I did get in the shower. He made me wash everything off, um, and I'm just sitting there sobbing the whole time. Well, then I finally go in the living room, and I remember sitting down on the couch, and I just remember covering my body and just rocking back and forth and going, "Please let me go. Like, please don't, don't hurt me. You got to let me go. I promise I won't tell. That's all I kept saying was I won't tell." And he's like, "No, you're going to tell him." And I was like, "Jesse, I promise. I promise. I know Holly. I, I won't tell any of." So at that time, he had a like a handful of stuff, and honestly, I don't remember what all was in the pile of stuff. But I remember him throwing it in my lap and going, go wash this. Go throw it in the washer. Because, you know, he's giving me these orders. And for some reason, the way this trailer was set up, it still sits there today. But for some reason, it had two doors on the same side instead of one on the back and one on the front, you know. So my dad's washer was down the opposite way, right next to that other back door. And so as he is pacing the floor, I was like, okay, I'll go wash it. I'll do whatever you want. And I had the stuff in my hands and I was still, I still had no clothes on. And as he turned around to like pace to go the other way back towards my bedroom, I threw the stuff. I can't remember if it landed in the washer on top of it or what, but I opened that back door and I just bolted down the back down the dirt road, ran to the closest neighbor's house. It felt like I was running at the speed of lightning, I swear. And so I got there. I didn't even knock on her door. I collapsed on the floor and I was like, you got to help me. He just, he just, I said, raped me basically. You got to help me. And she's like, who did, who did? And so we ended up calling the cops and I called my best friend and her and her dad came. I think, my best friend got there before the cops did. Um, anyways, the cops came and they found uh, McFadden at, I call, I called it the Ponderosa in a couple of these podcasts because that's what my dad always called it, but it is in fact called the Canadian river. So I want to clear that up too. Mm. So they found him down there with his wrist split and then they ended up taking him to jail. I think we had to stay for a couple more days to do some interviews. Um, I ended up going to the hospital that same night. I did, I did like the, the kit um, and all that stuff and they confirmed everything. The next thing I, I remember is I went in and I think it was a cop I was speaking to, but we were in like an interview room and he was telling me all the stuff that, that he was doing to me. And he says, I remember like, this is the only part of the conversation I remember for some reason, but he said, he grabbed my hand and he said, Miss Strong, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it's most likely that you're probably never going to have kids. And I said, I said, what do you mean? Don't effing touch me. And, and then he started telling me everything that he did to me. I really don't want to go into that, but it was pretty bad. Like I'm talking like shoving, shoving things where they shouldn't be. And like now that I got my court records and stuff, it makes sense. Um, maybe they didn't tell me because I was so young, didn't think I could handle it or what, but they never even told my mother about it, which is crazy to me. Yeah. I feel like my mom had a right to know all of that. I don't, I said, how did he do that? I don't, I, I couldn't feel anything. What do you mean? And they said, honey, I don't know. It was large like things and stuff. So that I guess you messed up my insides pretty bad. One of the things that you had said is, is when he came in through the door, he was trying to put a sock in, in your face. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it was a sock, um, a white sock, and it was balled up. And he was like, he had it in my mouth. And I finally like, like I threw it off. And I remember I kept passing back out. And now, now that I got that report, it makes sense that nothing is going together with the whole thing. Because I, I only remember bits and pieces of it. And I don't know if I was just having an out-of-body experience or if maybe he really did drug me with something. And I don't know what was in it. I was going to call the hospital that I went to and try to get reports on it. But I, I'm pretty sure they, they shred records after 10 years. Right. Um, the reason why I asked that question is because it sounds something like, like someone would do with like chloroform, uh, where they're trying to like cause you to pass out. And it happens in like two or three seconds, like of exposure to chloroform. Not just that, but something that's really disturbing to me that you said was about him telling you to go clean up and, and things of that nature. And so that really leads me to believe that that definitely wasn't his first time. Actually, you're not the first person to say something about chloroform. I don't know anything about drugs like that. 
I am in the nursing field now, but somebody else brought that up too. But I remember after the sock thing, I was just so out of it that I couldn't, man, I was so, I was back and forth. Like I, the sock couldn't have been in my mouth very long. And I just kept like, I, I was fighting him. Like you wouldn't even believe, like I had energy in me. You wouldn't even believe I had until he finally just dragged me and he got really, really mean after that until I said, I promise I won't tell on you. And then I ran and I remember, I swear I remember as I was running down the road, I was looking back to see if he was running after me. I remember seeing his face peeking out the door, Um, but he never, I don't think he ever tried because I think I was, by the time I was there, I was already at the, my neighbor's house. Crystal, do you, do you think that he would have let you go if you wouldn't have ran? No. um, Now that I look back on everything, I really don't think that would have been the case. I don't know what got into me or why I said, dude, promise you, I promise. I think when he had the knife to my throat and how hard he was pushed, I think I knew, I think I knew then that he was serious. And I mean, I can't, I can't speak for every other woman out there because a lot of women don't, they won't shut up and they're just going to tend to fight. And I don't know why, I don't know why I shut up. I don't know why I did the things that I did, but maybe it was for this reason so that I could help other people. I don't know. I really believe that you saved yourself in taking action and and running. And it's very likely that you wouldn't have been here to tell the story had you not been brave enough to make that decision and to take the action when you did. Um, I don't think talking about it bothers me too much. I think that I think the most thing that I'm pissed off about is I checked up on his account all the time because I was so like I don't know if it was the PTSD I was diagnosed with or mm-hmm. like counseling that I had to do or what, but I always felt okay knowing that he was in prison. I think I felt a little safer. But then I remember, so I'll back up to 2000. I think it was 2004. I had I was at my mom's and I remember my mom's like, "Sis, there's a phone call for you," and I was like, "Who is it?" And she's like, "I think it's the DA." And so I got on the phone and I was like, yes. And she's like, I thought she was going to give me updates about the case. But instead, this woman says to me, Crystal, I think you need to work on forgiveness. I think that if you and Jesse, if you let Jesse start writing you letters, I think that it would go a lot better. If he was not high on meth and up for several days, I think that this would have never happened. And I called her a stupid bitch and I hung up the phone and I ran out of my mom's house. And I think, I think that was the same night that, I was diagnosed, well, I had, my counselor had given me like sleeping pills and things to try to help me cope. And my mom found me trying to take all of those pills because I had just had enough. I couldn't believe that I was being talked to like that. I didn't think that he was going to end up going to prison. The impact of an assault can often be deadly. 33% of survivors have contemplated suicide, while they are 13 times more likely to attempt suicide compared to the general public. Survivors are three times more likely to suffer a major depressive episode due to trauma of an assault. 70 women a day commit suicide following a sexual assault. He did get the 20 years, but like I said, I didn't, I always felt safe knowing he was in there. But in, I remember distinctly in 2012, um, I was pregnant with my now 10 year old daughter and I was at work and somebody was like, Hey, Chris, we got a phone call. And I'm like, okay. And this was the only other time I'd ever gotten a call. And it was them, the DA or Pittsburgh County. I don't remember who it was. 
and she says Jesse's trying to go up for a hearing. He's trying to get like I don't know if she was saying like charges dropped or what she really meant by it. And I said absolutely not. I said I don't have a lot of money right now or anybody to help me, and I am on my third child. I said, but if I have to walk to Oklahoma, I will make sure that man never sees another lot of day. The next thing I know, I'm getting a call. I like I'm seeing that he never did get out. Nobody ever called me back. Nobody ever said another word. They never had me go face him, which I wanted to, to try to get him more time. They never did um, let me go. Then fast forward to 2020, I'm sitting on my couch and all of a sudden Fox News flashes across the screen and it says, says convicted rapist caught with a contraband cell phone protecting an underage, an underage minor or whatever. And I was just sobbing on the couch and my daughter came home from school and she's now 18 and she's like, mom, what's wrong? And I said, Thailand, they're going to let him out. And she said, who? And she seen the screen and she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, no, this can't happen. He cannot get out. He's going to hurt people. He's not good. And I called my mom and she's like, well, just call, call down to Pittsburgh, see what you can do. Um, and so I did. And all I ever got was the runaround. Um, we'll call you back. And the only way I could get information is if I actually knew his name. And I went to the Oklahoma Department of Corrections and I would have to look there. And every time I went, it was like deferred, whatever. And so whenever I seen it last, it looked to me like he was going to come out on probation. I had no idea that he was even out of jail. Wow. Did they I ever? I no clue. They never contacted me one fucking time. I kind of want to back up because I want people to understand what you have to go through when something like that happens. When you talk to the police, how many times were you forced to go over your story? Um, I don't know if my mom did some of my talking because she knew what I was going through. And I, I mean, because after that, I had been through a lot. Um, my mom was a, like, she was beat all the time from the time from the time I can remember. I mean, I remember her getting set on fire by men. I remember all these things. And so I think my mom was trying to protect me. I don't know if maybe she got calls that I didn't know about. I don't, I don't believe that she would do that, but if she did, it was probably her trying to protect me, but I don't think they ever, they ever called because those are the only two calls I ever remember getting. But, but initially when it happened, did, did the police sit down with you and make you tell a story? Uh, yeah, they did. Um, that was in the interview room and they said, um, I believe they said something about him, him admitting to it or whatever, um, that they found him with his wrist split. Um, and that's when he said, Miss Strong, it's likely that you're never going to bear children. Did they ever allow you to write anything down or give them, give them any details that, that maybe he don't didn't? Remember. I remember feeling like I was so messed up when I got to the hospital. My mom picked me up from Oklahoma and I just, I never looked back. I felt like nobody cared. And so the best thing that I needed to do was just suppress it in the back of my head and forget about it too. At the hospital, how do you feel like you were treated at the hospital when you were taken to the hospital? I was in, uh, pulled around. I remember laying down and she's like, I need you to lay down. We need to do this kit on you. And they give me like a day after pill or, or whatever they had back then. I can't even remember. They gave me so much stuff. Um, checked me for diseases because they didn't know if he had any. I think that was the scariest part is them coming back in and telling me, Miss Strong, you don't have, you know, these STDs. You don't have this. Um, and then after they told me I couldn't have kids, I think I kind of just gave up after that. They didn't, they didn't go over very much with me. The cops didn't. Um, I think the hospital probably told me more than they ever did. But like I said, that was 20 years ago. And I feel like that whole night, that whatever he gave me or whatever happened, it felt like a whole ass dream. How do you feel like people treated you in the community or how your peers 
treated you following this? So when I got back to the high school in Indianola, I remember going to grab my belongings. Actually, a girl reached out to me not too long ago. And she said, Crystal, I'm so sorry. She said, I feel so guilty. I can go, I can read the message to you, like, and I can quote it. Sure. This shocked me, and this right here is how I knew that Jesse's always been sick, and nobody was ever going to do anything. She says, I'm proud of you for doing all these interviews. How are you doing? I said, I, you know, I explained to her, you know, what was going on. And she said, I wish I could have been there more when all this stuff went down. I would have testified if I would have been allowed to. My family was always about keeping it quiet. I wasn't even allowed to mention what happened after it was handled. I remember talking to you at the lockers at some point after it happened and you still had bruises all over. I told my mom about it and she told me to mind my own business. Crystal, we were only 13 or 14, man. Like I said, everything after that was a blur. I remember going into Indianola school. I remember getting my stuff out of the lockers and they were going on and on. Are you going to stay here this night? I said, I'm not going to school here. I'm going home. I'm going with my mom and I'm never coming back. And they were like, well, we're going to, we're going to teach this class, this karate class, self-defense. We're going to do that. And I said, I don't care. I'm not staying here. And I left and I came back to Kansas and I told maybe a handful of people about it. And actually my best friend, um, her mother reached out to me a couple of weeks ago and she said, Crystal, this explains so much. I wish you would have told me a long time ago. I could have tried to help you. And I said, there was nothing to talk about. What's done is done. In terms of the PTSD and the therapy, how soon after the assault did you start seeking therapy? And did you find it helpful? Uh, they put me in it right away because I shut down like completely. And then I got to the, I got to counseling and I think I was in there maybe a year, if that. And I would just sit in a ball and I wouldn't speak. I wouldn't talk about it. I didn't want to. And I told him I was having bad nightmares. I, I remember having nightmares for a long time, vivid ones don't remember him now but I remember him putting me on sleeping pills and he's like Crystal he's like he's like I diagnosed you with you know post-traumatic stress disorder and stuff and I'm like are you kidding me is that what they give people like in the army that see like you know real traumatic stuff like this is not okay and so and then I ended up quitting the therapy because I after the whole pill incident with my mom and stuff I decided that you know pills and things weren't for me that I needed to turn to God. And so I spent a lot of time by myself just on my knees praying. And I think God, God has pulled me out of a lot of dark, dark, dark places because had he had not, I don't know where I'd be without him and my children. Yeah. I don't know. Many may think that being victimized can be the worst part of any traumatic event, but for most, it's the healing and recovery that is the most brutal aspect of the process. Healing can take years and recovery can become an elusive target, with constant backsliding and new triggers that force you to relive the pain over and over again. Healing and recovery are the most important things for any survivor of an assault. Support can come in the form of resources that may include such things as emotional, legal, or even general support services. Did you notice any other, because you did mention a few, you mentioned about them giving you sleeping pills and you having the nightmares. Um, were you having any type of like, like hypervigilance when you're out? Were you having issues being around men or trusting people or oh, anything I of that nature? I, I do not trust men at all. I can't, I have not had a normal relationship since. I mean, I've ran every type of man I've run into 
has not been good for me. And I, it probably isn't 100% their fault, but it's not 100% mine. I just don't tolerate shit from no man anymore. I will not. How, how has this changed you as a parent? So I know that you said that you have children. How has this impacted how you raise your kids or what you talk to them about? I think my kids respect me a lot. They're very good kids. My daughter actually just graduated high school and my other one uh, is going to be a junior this year. And they, my oldest is an absolute blessing. They keep me up to date on everything. I mean, they're like my little best friends. They, <laughs> there's nothing that they don't. Like, I've raised my kids that don't ever lie to me because if you lie to me, I'm never going to be able to help you fix it. We, like, I might get upset with you, but we can work through anything. But if you don't tell me the truth, I'm never going to know, you know? Yeah. When it came to things like like keeping themselves safe or things of that nature or telling you if, if anything were to ever occur, how did you approach those kind of topics with your kids? I think my kids just knew my past. We don't talk about it. Um, but as I, as I got older, I think that they realized that they knew how everything was with my mom and how all of her relationships were just nothing but toxic and all the abuse that I've endured. And I, uh, I decided that I was going to change a pattern and wasn't going to make them live what I had to live through. My kids know that they can call me at any time of night and I'm going to be there. Their location is always on for me. Most of the time we don't do a lot of, they don't even really ask to stay other places. If anything, they'll ask if their friends can stay here and they have one or two friends and that's it. And they, you know, that's just kind of how it is. I don't, you said earlier in the beginning that, you know, all these statistics and stuff about how parents, like how could they let their kids go stay at other people's houses? Like, nobody sits to think, oh, my gosh, I need to Google San Frisco's mom because she's, you know, you don't think like that. If they're coming in being normal and they're married and they've got other kids in the home, you don't think that the judicial system is going to let this kind of stuff happen. So why do you need to look into it? People don't just think you can't go around thinking eerie thoughts like that all the time. What are you supposed to do? Lock these kids up? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, you need to be cautious. And I mean, because I am because I went through it, but not everybody has been through what I've been through. People really have a, a very false sense of security, and I actually noticed it with, I had seen a message, and I don't even know, it was it was in relation to an article or something, but she had made a comment about, see, this is why I don't allow my kids to have sleepovers. And it made me think, you're thinking that you're making a very smart comment, but it actually sounds really bad because what you don't realize is that there's a higher probability that something happens at your home or at a family member's home or at yeah. school, you know? The sleepover isn't the, isn't the most dangerous thing. Um, I agree 100% with that. There is there is so, so many bad people out there. There's people in your neighborhood all over that you don't even know. I mean, and I keep referring back and people, I don't know how people are taking this when I say it, but I refer back to like, so I live in Kansas and the whole BTK killer thing. Mm-hmm. This man was going to community events. He was a family man. He was all of these things and nobody had any idea. How are you supposed to know when every person is bad? Are you supposed to go around thinking everybody is bad when they're not? You're, you're going to lose out on some of the best people. Yeah. I mean, you live and you learn. You got to be cautious, but not everybody. There's bad people and there's good people. Yeah. What advice would you give parents, especially those that are either supporting a child through something, a loved one, anything like that, or even how to feel during all of that? Because I know that a lot of parents will feel very guilty. They'll feel like 
it was their fault, either they weren't there or anything like that? What would be your advice? So I want to send like a message to like, like the victims, for instance, um, like Justin and Ashley, actually my family, I have family in Henrietta and um, this whole thing with nobody contacting me until me was out bothers me so much because I actually spent my Easter at my aunt's house like a couple of years ago in Henrietta and I would have like I probably wouldn't have went there but if I did it would have been with flyers in hand and I would have handed them out to every person there and told you don't let this man around your children the last known address I had of McFadden was his mother's house I will say that his mother is a huge enabler the first instance like with that girl that I, I, I told you the message was from the first assault he ever did was when we were in the sixth grade and it was on her. She went home. He told her on the bus, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And she went home and told her mom. Her, her mom then contacted LaDonna. LaDonna begged her not to call the cops and swept it under the rug. That was Jesse's first instance with probably being caught in a sexual situation with another female. If we were 12, he had to have been maybe 16. And then she said a few years later is when he did that to me. But as far as Ashley and them go, I, I, I feel like that they think it's their fault because they let her go and she had been going to that house for months and having friends um, with Holly's. I've heard that I've been impersonated. So what, what are these families supposed to think when this woman is going to them and saying, trust me with your children, I'm a good person. She doesn't look like an evil person in pictures and I'm sure that in person she looks great too. Mm-hmm. We don't always know what goes on behind closed doors, but we, I just feel like we can't lock our kids up. What is that going to do for them? How are, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's it's about education and it's about awareness and it's about making sure your kids are, are, are aware of, of the risks and the threats. I, I mean, I'm very, I'm open with my kids about things. If they have a question about anything, we talk about it. At least my, me and my older two do. I just hate that people are making these people feel like it's their fault for letting them have a sleepover or go to their friend's house. Like, I get that it's 2023, but come on. These yeah. kids got to live too. Yeah. And like you said, you just don't know, like you feel like you're a good judge of character and you, and you have people around you and you, and you see that they have kids and those kids are happy and they're not showing any signs of being mistreated or being abused. And so you just assume, you assume the best. 100% agree with that. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it's always, it's always easy to look back and go, Oh, hey, this was a sign. And this other thing was a sign. But at the time, it's just normal business it is business as usual. Everybody keeps wanting me to speak. I had to make a post on somebody's thing the other day. I won't say where or anything, but I had to make a long spiel about we're losing, we're losing focus of what this is really about because everybody's blaming like, you know, the Mayo's and they're blaming Holly's family and they're doing these things. And I'm like, look, uh, they said that I was sticking up for Holly and this and that. And I said, look, I'm not sticking up for anybody. I said, what I do not agree with and what I would never do is if there was a man that I came in contact with and I found out that he had just spent 20 years in prison, the last thing I'm going to do is believe that it was a misunderstanding and you are never going to be around my children. And the last thing I'm going to do is marry your funky ass. Right. That's on her for that. She had to live with that. Yeah. Now I'm not going to speak ill of the dead because I don't know what he did to her. I've been told by several people he's manipulating. He's, he's charming. He's this. I personally think he's disgusting. And that's probably because I witnessed evil firsthand. Right. Not my cup of tea, but as far as like the kids go, nobody knows what really happened. And I'm just not going to speak ill of anybody because I wasn't there. I'm one of those people that I put the shoe on the other foot until I know what's actually going on. I'm not going to say anything. Right. But as far as like the Webster's go and the Brewers, 
they had no idea. They probably thought it was just a normal family. Yeah. Um, if their kids were safe, Holly approached them more than once. Jesse was going to school events. He was going to these different things with these, you know, in this town and being a part of this community. Yeah. How is anybody going to know that? Yeah. If we don't get a website or something made to where things are like pinning or, you know, I don't know how anything's going to change. So I had spoke with someone that was pretty big with, you know, with the law and stuff. And they had told me that basically we have no rights. If we do anything to like a police officer or things like that, that things are going to go a different route for us. But if we, if we as a people feel like that our, our rights are violated, that we're going to get in front of a judge and they're going to throw it out anyway. Mm. So I don't know how much of that is true, but I don't know why this person that I spoke to would lie about it. Um, He gave me an analogy about if your kid was hit by a bus, you're going to go into court and you're going to try to sue this person. And they're basically going to hand you $125,000 and tell you to go on down the road. That's what your child is worth. Yeah. And that's, that's not wrong. I've seen it. That is so mortifying. When I put him in prison, he was a violent offender. He did all these things to me. Okay. People don't just get 20 years for a misunderstanding. I keep saying that, but how hard was it? You guys contacted me those two times. How hard was it to try to find me again? You are the government. You can find me if you want. Yeah. I'm not hard to find and tell me, Hey, we're releasing McFadden. If you can do what you want to do, you can go get a PSA to make yourself feel safer. You can do whatever. Mm -hmm. Not nothing. This man could have potentially been targeting me the whole time. And I would have never have known. Never. And the proof in that is that the girl that he reached out to and started talking to while he was in prison, he found her and she was terrified. So yeah, he could have gotten out and found you and you would have had no idea. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a failure. I'm not hard to find. And I just feel like that it's not hard to pick up a phone. I, that, that right there told me that I never mattered. And the fact that he got 20 years, I don't know if that was God standing beside me or if that was just meant to be to keep other children alive or what. But it's pathetic, actually. I mean, it's, it's not hard to pick up a phone and let the victim know what's going on. It's a broken system that we've got to find a way to get fixed because it's just, it's ridiculous. There's just no way. He also had a sex crime pending when they released him at 85% for good behavior. How? And so technically, told- he didn't serve 85%. He served 84%. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said that to somebody not too long ago, and um, they said to me, well, Crystal COVID. And I said... So there's people in there, and even if they're like overcrowded or whatever, so you're out of all these people to pick from for overcrowding, you're going to pick the person that just spent 20 years for a violent, horrible crime on a minor instead of letting out the person that smoked a little bit of, uh, you know, Mary Jane or something. I'm sorry, but if I had to to choose between the two of them, I'm definitely not going to pick that man. Right. He was committing another crime, too. He had committed another crime. So there was no good behavior. Yeah, there There was was no no good behavior. It's... Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. The things that I heard that he was doing in there in the process while this uh, case was still pending is mortifying. Um, I heard that he sexually assaulted two men. Let's see, the phone thing. There were several things that I've been told that he's done. The fact that he got this marriage certificate and it was signed by one of the jailers or somebody that worked at the police station is crazy. Well, I will say I, that was something that I looked into the chaplain and the people who signed off on that just happened to be who was available at the courthouse. So they weren't married in a prison jail. They didn't get somebody that they knew or, you know, whatever to, to sign off on that. I have never been married. I had, you know, three kids with the same man or whatever, but we, I've never been married. 
so when you get married, do they not, they just sign papers or there's nothing else to it? Or how does that work? Because I'm just baffled by that. Every county is a little bit different. So I was telling my husband that, so I've been married twice. I was telling him that one of the times that I had gotten married, I got married in Miami, Oklahoma, because you could do everything all in one, in one shot. There was a chapel across the street. You went in, they required that you took a blood test. You um, showed them both your IDs. You both had to physically be there. And then I was able to walk across the street, get married, and then they turned in the marriage license. And there was no like, we're going to look anything up. I honestly think that it should be a requirement. I was just ready to say that. Yeah, you should be ran through a system. And if the person who who isn't the sex offender has children, you 100% should not be able to get a marriage license. Absolutely not. One of the comments made by the the chaplain who did the um, who did the marriage said that there's no red flag system that they use to vet people who are getting married, which was a great call out because he didn't have visibility to know that he was marrying a sexual predator to someone who had children either. So the guilt that he must feel for even participating in that ceremony that has got to be crushing to him and make him feel sure. responsible. This has got to be the higher up fault. And when I say higher up, I mean higher up branch because yeah. the thing about websites, I'm not computer smart or any of that kind of junk, but I know that you can make a website because I heard that oh, when you yeah. look up, you've got to go through several, several steps. Why can't we just collaborate it and put it all into one, one little deal where you hit a, hit a button and it's like, oh yeah, there's, there's Bob Smith. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, what's funny is that in order to get married in some states, you have to have like a, like a waiting period. So like, for example, I think in Oklahoma, it's like six months from a divorce. You have to have to been divorced for six months before you can get married again. So that's a check that they do, right. but they don't do a check to see if you're a sexual predator. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That's crazy. I know that, you know, every state's a little bit different. I know that when I was doing research specifically in Oklahoma, that Oklahoma has a rule that you cannot live with somebody else's kids if you're a sex offender unless you're married and i'm like why why would you allow somebody to get married yeah yeah you shouldn't be allowed around them ever um the whole thing is it's not other people it's the whole system that's broken because they're not doing anything about it they're letting these things like this happen and they think it's okay because it's not their child or somebody close to them or them them you know directly so it sucks yeah, it's bad. It's a bad system that, that needs to be fixed. It needs to be fixed fast. And you know, what's really sad is that people think that things are so, that the ugliness that's in the world is so rare that it, will, not. Ne- that it will never touch them. Yeah. And so sometimes people have such a hard time putting themselves in somebody else's shoes and saying, how would I feel if I was that person and that were my child? You know, what so would I be that- doing? that I think um, that that man, that piece of scum taught me is, um, so I don't really trust anymore. I trust you about 90% until you prove otherwise. And even then I still don't trust you all the way. <sighs> I don't know, but this whole, it, the whole thing needs to change. There needs to be a website put in to where it's easier to get to these people. They shouldn't be allowed to be going to the schools. Once you touch a child, that's it. Your real minds, real people with real souls do not think like that. And there is evil out there. It's everywhere. It's lurking all around. It doesn't mean that you have to lock your kids up, but it, I mean, be more cautious, but not to the extent where you're paranoid, you know? So you got to know how to put the shoe on the other foot. That's what Jesse taught me is if, if he taught me anything, it's just put the shoe on the other foot and see, 
how would I feel if I was in that position? How would that make me feel? And so that's how I've gotten through a lot of stuff, that and God. So Yeah. You know, you made a good point because you talked about the school, and I know there's a system called the Raptor system that they install at schools, and it's like software that does facial identification, and it's specifically to target predators who are at schools. And if that if the schools where Jesse's stepkids were going, if they would have had that system, it would have flagged him as a as someone who wasn't supposed to be there, and he would have been arrested. And so, that should be mandatory at every school. I, I agree with that. But I do, okay, so how do you guys feel about cases like where it's a 16-year-old girl that he slept with an 18-year-old, he accidentally gets her pregnant, the girl gets scared because the parents freak out, and then he goes to prison and the baby's without a dad. What about those kind of cases? What are your feelings on that? I think it depends specifically on the case. And the reason that I say that is because you can have a 16-year-old who's very mature and mentally, and, and the state, it could be legal. Obviously, if, if they're an offender because of it, it's not legal in that state. But a female or a male could, could have the mental capacity of a, of a six-year-old at 16 or 17. And so to me, that's completely different than an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old who are both at the same level mentally, you know, cognitively, that one isn't manipulating the other, basically. Yes, and there is, and so that's what I meant by I wanted to know what your feelings were on it because there is cases where that happens, and then it's not that the kid wants to do anything about it. It's just the, the parents literally freak out about it, and they take it to a whole other level without thinking about what they're really doing. Right. And then these people end up in prison, and then they're on the list, and you really don't know why. Right. So when this list, if it ever changes, it needs to say every charge, yeah. why, you know, things like that, because people like Jesse cannot change. They're yeah. sick, they're diminished, and they belong in prison. I had just found something, and I'm, I'm going to share these things with you, um, well, because I found them because they're in writing. I'm a very big fan of making sure that I have, you know, whatever the real facts are. I like to hear from from the actual people and I notice that people throw stuff out there because they want to be the first ones to put something out. And a lot of times it's inaccurate. And I didn't realize that until we started doing this podcast because I don't know, I just didn't think people would do that. So when I saw how inaccurate so much of the stuff was, I'm like, man, this is really hard to kind of wade through a lot of this, you know, information. But um, with Jesse, when we first started working on this case, I had gone into, I don't know if you, if you're aware of what OSCN is in Oklahoma. OSCN.net. Somebody was telling me about it. Um, I didn't know about really any of these sites until like recently. Only thing I was ever knew about was looking him up on the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. Okay. So with this site, you can actually go in and look at the court dockets. And so I had gone in and I typed in Jesse's name. And of course it pulls up everything that has his name on it. I was able to pull up, you know, his, there's a lot. Sis. There, there is, but guess what? <laughs> They've taken all the documents down now. You gotta be shitting me. There's not one document up, but I had already saved them all, so I have them all. Um, oh, good girl. But they had, <laughs> yeah, they had taken them all down. But something that I noticed was actually just today. Um, I was trying to look up some information on Jesse's family. I know the story about uh, this about Cody because it's true. That was actually my stepmom's daughter. Really? Yeah. So I'm kind of confused because I saw that an article had come out in 2022 about Cody that this happened in 2022. Why is he not in jail right now? He is. Okay. So let me, let me clear that up real quick too. So this is another reason why I thought, how dare you mother effers not contact me. It just seemed to me like he's targeting really close to home um, and keeping me sort of close. I thought it was weird now that I think about it. So she's not actually my stepmom, but she's, my dad died um, back in 2010 
and they never got married, but I mean, she's been in my life since I was nine. Right. Okay. So I call her my stepmom. Well, my dad passes away and a few years later, she remarries. Um, and he has a daughter. I actually didn't find out that this even happened to her until the murders happened. And her and I kind of had a talking about it because I just felt so hurt by it. I mean, we're okay now. And I don't know what her, what her thoughts really were on it because she's just a different, a different kind of breed, I guess. So she maybe thought maybe I'm, she was protecting me by not telling me, but it really didn't. It just kind of upset me more that I had to find out through the news that Cody was the same person as Jesse. I mean, because had I been told that years ago, I would have kept looking into things because I'm, a, you know, if I want to know something, I'm going to find it out. So I could have dug on it. I, I would have found out maybe Jesse was out sooner. And when I say I feel guilt by some of this, that's why I feel the guilt because I, I'm just the kind of person that I'm scared in a sense where if I have to go out at night, you better bet your butt I'm going to be checking my back seat because right. he's a like that. Um, but I faced him before. I would face him again. So I would be the kind of woman to go hold up flyers, things like that, being like, don't let this guy around your kids. He's, he's a freak. I'm telling you, he did it to me. But I never got that opportunity because I didn't know all these things that happened. Cody's rap sheet is actually very long. It is. It's disgusting. Few of us were talking about it, and we feel like he went into um, a mess like psychosis mm. by some of the reports I read. Um, and I actually have one saved, and the stuff that his mother, his own mother, filled out on him. The, are the very protective different. order? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to tell you. In the protective order, she lists that he has not schizophrenia, it was like schizo something, um, social disorder or something like that. Some some other form of something along the lines of kind of like schizophrenia. Where he set himself on fire in the vehicle, yes. things like mm-hmm. Um. So, so yeah, it was my, it was based, I mean, she's not my stepsister. I never like, my stepmom always came here. Um. I just didn't really mess with that area anymore. The whole, every, every time I go there, I just get eerie vibes and I don't mess with it. So she would always come to my house, things like that. Um, but when I found out about that, I was I was pretty hurt. I thought, how dare you guys keep this from me? Like, this isn't cool. He's been out for all these years. He wasn't because originally Jesse. I don't even think Jesse was supposed to get out till twenty twenty five. My mom and I just had this conversation last week. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you guys let some of his time go and say that it's on good terms, but he wasn't a good boy, mm-hmm. um, things like that is just wild. I can't even believe it. Anytime that you ever talked to, whether it was somebody at the prison or did you ever even get a, an opportunity to even talk to like the parole board at all? He was moved. I don't know why, but he was moved from prison to prison to prison. So every time I would check it, because I always thought that he would go in there and he would be there till 2025. So I would check it, you know, maybe once a year, you know, stuff like that, just to make sure that it was still a deal. The last time I actually officially checked it was, I think, 2020. And it had to have been the beginning of 2020 because the next thing I know, like all this stuff happens and there's, there's dead kids. So you didn't even so, know until this came uh, out that he was out. I had no idea he was even walking the street. That's why I said I would have totally went and got a protective order because here's how, here's my thoughts on it. It wasn't just some minor little, oh, you know, he just barely touched me and, you know, whatever. He brutally assaulted me. He took my adolescence from me. He tried, he almost potentially ruined my whole freaking life almost made it to where I couldn't have children that's very sad to me so the fact that you couldn't pick up the phone and call me is is just I mean I'm just mind blown by the whole thing I can't even believe it it's not like it was just some regular thing they should have called they should have done something different you guys didn't mind telling me that I needed to forgive him a year after it happened right and blaming his mess so 
why couldn't you have called me in 2020 to tell me about this? And my thoughts on it is I assume that when they found the contraband phone, I thought, oh, no, he's going to get charged and he's going to be in there longer. And I told my mom, thank goodness. But that day when it flashed across the news, I actually called and they just gave me the runaround because, like I said, he was in several different prisons. So I could never keep up with what prison he was going to. So they would be like, well, you need to call Lansing or you need to call this place or that place. So every time I called, it was like, oh, let me transfer you. And I would either sit on hold, I would be transferred, or I'd get hung up on. Wow. So crazy. And you know what? That's so common. You would think that that's not, but that's so common. Even in, you know, in Nashville with the Nashville shooter, somebody called the police because she sent him a weird message and she was transferred, transferred, transferred. And she didn't see a police officer till that afternoon. Yeah. Too late. So there's actually a lot of cases like that. I, I heard another potential um, case where there was a woman that kept saying um, that she had left her, you know, her ex-husband or whatever, and that he had maybe kidnapped her kids. I don't know the whole details on it. I was going to look into it, but apparently she had called the cops and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll get there when we get there. Mm. Basically by the time they got there, he had done shot her kids. They were in the back seat, kill and then killed himself. So these are just the kind of things like when people tell you that they're scared and it's serious, you guys need to do your job. You take an oath to do those kind of things to protect and serve. Yeah. Do your job. Without a doubt, we have seen the most recent flaws of our legal system when it comes to holding sexual predators accountable. Weak sentences early release, and not enforcing mandated sexual registry requirements are just the tip of the iceberg. We have critical gaps in our laws and in our legal processes, multiple points of failure. If that were not the case, then how did McFadden get out of jail while pending sex crime charges that included child pornography? How did he get married to a woman who had children similar in age to his previous victims? How did he walk freely at his stepchildren's schools every day? How was he not on the registered sex offenders list? Absolutely. And you know what I what I want people to understand is when you so so we we were both in the military, so we've seen a lot of stuff. But when you hear people talking about when they're in court and they're talking about sentencing somebody for murder and they're talking about first degree murder and saying it's premeditated and it's it's the worst murder or they say that a murder is heinous. There's a very big difference in a murder case where somebody shoots somebody or something of that nature where they don't they don't have to be close to the person. Maybe you won't get blood on yourself but if you stab somebody, you have to be close to them. You're going to get stuff on you. For somebody to sexually assault somebody is even more so than stabbing somebody. It's worse. And you know what? The sad thing is, is that for the person who passes away in a murder, they don't ever have to deal with anything again. But for the person who's sexually assaulted, they have to deal with it for the rest of their life. Any kind of sexual assault is, is terrible, but when you're when you're verbally and I mean assaulted in that kind of a violent way, trust me, sis, it does a lot of things. It it causes a lot of issues, yeah. and a lot of people, a lot of women, they either turn to drugs and they don't come out of it, or they just fall into a dark place. But it's it's hard to come back from that kind of stuff. Yeah, and unfortunately, really, and this is the thing that really upsets me is because when when you talk about letting somebody out for good behavior who's done a crime like this you're talking about letting somebody out who's destroyed somebody's life for the rest of their life even if that person has worked up the courage and is doing good things now they still have impacts from what occurred and so 
they don't just get a at at 15 years or at 20 years or at 85 percent of whatever it is that you know you're expecting when they're going to feel good where they're able to just all of a sudden be 100 percent. that's never going to happen for that person so to allow for an offender like that to come out back into society they don't deserve it they 100 percent don't deserve it and there's actually not at all there's actually 20 states, and I had looked this up just before we we had gotten on here because I remembered Minnesota has a a program where they have a facility that just houses sex offenders, and the program is called Civil Commitment. So in 20 states, they have what's called a Civil Commitment Law, and basically what it is is when somebody comes to the end of their sentence for a sex crime, if they're considered to be sexually violent or sexually dangerous then they continue to keep them and they'll put them through whatever programs that they need. Everybody's calling Miss Mayo, Jeanette. They're calling her and Lynn and them. They're calling them liars and saying they're making up all this stuff. But in one part of her interview on Banfield, I remember her distinctly her saying that she found Jesse's psychological evaluation, but she wouldn't say what was in it. So do they check your heads before they leave you? Because they should have known that he wasn't good to put it back on the street. They should have known that. Absolutely. I 100% believe that. And here's one other thing I want to add. And I really wish somebody would help me clear this up because I'm actually pissed off a little bit about it. I've been told that Miss LaDonna McFadden worked for the Pittsburgh County Courthouse from the time my um, charges happened all the way up until not very long ago. Is that legal? Because I know you can't have the same lawyer as your cousin or your brother or your husband. So why are you allowed to work in the when he's had all these violent crimes, why would you be allowed to work in a courthouse that he got charged at? That's, that's really very strange. interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. That's something we're definitely going to need to dig into. I've, I've put it out there to see if people could figure it out, but I just, and I don't even know if she broke any, any rules, but yeah. I mean, I just think it's a little sketchy. It's very sketchy. Very, very sketchy. It's definitely something that we need to look at. Yeah, there's a lot of things going around, though. Um, like I heard that I was impersonated, things like that. Why, If that's true, why is that person not brought up on charges? Because, I mean, how do I know that they haven't tried to come around me? Obviously, right. he was talking about people. Didn't you say that you that you heard an interview with somebody who, who actually said that how Holly found out? Didn't you watch something? Where I heard that from is I actually watched an interview. Right. Um, I actually put it on my TikTok, and it was Jeanette Mayo. Right. And I don't know if that's the grandma of Holly or what she is really or the mom, but she got on there and Miss Banfield asked her and she, she said, so did you guys not know that Jesse was a sexual predator? Do you not know these kind of things? And she said, well, no, no, well, yes. But the only thing was, is he told us that the victim was in fact 19 and not 16. And he actually paid somebody to impersonate the victim to come to Holly and tell her it was all a misunderstanding. And that's her mom. That's Holly's mom. I had seen one interview where she said, or actually it was on her Facebook. I have a picture of it where she said Holly didn't know anything. But then, but then I saw the interview where she said she had found out a few months prior. And then I heard the whole story about him supposedly hiring somebody, but I haven't seen whoever that person is coming forward. But my, but I don't know why because I've been I put a post on her Facebook too and everybody liked it except one person she kind of lashed out at me and I let her have it because I thought Mm. well everybody you guys are the only family that has not come to me and told me look I'm sorry like I didn't realize that this was a thing why didn't you go to the cops and be like look this is a person that said that they were misstrong like that is not okay right a couple of days after this all happened I had another girl I'm not going to name who she is but she came forward and was telling me that she was actually supposed to meet 
Jesse at his house the same day of the murders. Um, oh. I don't know sleep with him or what, but I had several messages between the two of them. He actually paid her, paid her money through cash app at one point. Um, she said that they had actually met at a motel, um, one other time. Um, and I said, did he ever do anything to you? Things like that. So, and she said, no, but the thing about Jesse is, is I feel like if you're going to give it, he's addicted to it, but if you're going to give it, it's okay. What about the girls that didn't want it that restrained from him? I feel like that's when he snapped. Right. right. Kind of my thing with this. And, and of course, I don't know, Holly. I don't I, I don't know what she knew and what she didn't know. And, right. Me either. But the one thing I do think is that when I think that how all of this kind of came to a head is because he had the court date coming up and he no longer could keep his lie together. So however he was formulating whatever it was with her, I think things had. And if she found out a few months ago, I'm pretty sure she was stewing on it and probably was thinking, I can't believe him. She's probably trying to look up information. I don't know. That could not be the case at all. So if you think about how narcissists work, they didn't even make it to their one year anniversary. And usually the, the real personality of a person is going to come out within that year. Right. Yeah. So when I tell you that that girl reached out and said she was going to meet up, she said, I said, when's the last message you got from Jesse? And she said, the last message I got was at two o'clock and it said, don't come. My girl's here. And I like, it was like kind of scrambled. And I said, I don't know what this means. And she said, basically it's just like code for my girl's about to be home. Don't, don't come. Mm. And so that was Sunday, that Sunday at 2 PM. And I said, so you didn't know about his history. And she said, no, when I looked him up, I couldn't find anything. And it could have been the website that he gave me. And I said, are you silly? And so I then looked it up on the, okay, you know, department of corrections. And I took a picture of the phone. I looked it up on, I send it back to her. And I said, well, it shows you right there what his charges are. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, that's not what I seen. And I said, yeah, honey, it's not a misunderstanding. I reassure you of that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I, know, I, I you probably don't a bullet. When I looked him up on the Oklahoma sex offender registry, he was not there. Supposedly he was on the national um, sex offender registry, but I also couldn't find him on there. So I don't know if they've pulled it down. But, I've heard that they've taken it down, but I have several screenshots. Um, that's why I went ahead and got my court documents, too, because I don't know how that works either. And at this point, I don't trust anybody with it, not yeah. even in the court. So I went ahead and so when I called there the other day, and I don't know if it was just me being paranoid um, or what, but it, she really pissed me off because I called and I said, hey, can I get um, my records from 2003? And she said, on who? And I told her. And she sat on the phone for like five or ten minutes. She's like, oh, I can't find you. You're not in here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ma'am. Mm. I rest assured that I'm in here because you guys let the news have it. I want my court record. And she's going on like she can't find it. And I said, okay, we'll look it up under KDS because apparently that's what you guys have me down in some of the records. And she's going on about how she can't find it. And I said, okay. And I said, can you tell me your name? She finally told me her name. And I said, okay, well, here's the deal. If you don't give them to me, my lawyer will be contacting you and you can give them to him. She called me back about 20 minutes later. I don't have a lawyer, but I wanted my stuff. Right. Yeah, I definitely think you should you should try to get whatever records from the hospital, um, because a lot of the records have been have been made digital and they might actually have all of your records. I think that that would be something good for you to have. And I am speculating that there's a whole lot that they can find out of those computers. And I don't know if they're going to release that information. I would like I would like to think that they would, because something tells me that there's more people involved and me with, too. with the way that the crime scene was handled, something tells me there's something dirty there. Like me I, too. 
So the way that's when I kind of got pissed whenever. Um, so I have all this stuff on my TikTok now so that it's all just saved for my own safety and everybody else's. So things don't get deleted. But I have every news thing recorded, things from, you know, the Webster's, things like that. I just felt really drawn to the Webster's. I don't know what it was about them, but the whole thing just broke my damn heart. And I couldn't, the whole thing was just sad meeting them and stuff. But the whole thing with them is just, it's just sad. I can't even fathom what they're going to. I'll send you this um, part and what it says about the narcotic or whatever, and you can tell me. And that's actually one of the things in Oklahoma that's required for them to be graded at the level that he was graded at. So Really? Yeah, so they must have found something in your system. There's two things that I'm kind of paying attention to when you were telling your story. And when you say that you're going in and out, so there's a couple reasons that that happens. That can be from, from drugs if somebody drugs you. But it can also be when somebody's dealing with something traumatic – they can mentally kind of kind of put a wall up and pull themselves out and later not even remember what occurred during that portion of time. So, and it's crazy because people, um, I did one of the like podcasts, they were like, she, she said something about a sock and then somebody's like, well, you know, that can be suppressed. And when you try to think about it, it's, so since this has happened, there has been a lot of emotions that I'm going through with it because I'm actually remembering more of it. Yeah. And a lot of people think that I'm going to need like therapy after this and stuff, but it's actually... Spreading awareness and being able to help other people, I think, might be helping me because maybe something will change now because I'm not sad about what happened to me anymore, really. I mean, it changed me as a person, and I did go through a lot of dark times, but I'm sad that they let him out of prison, and now there's there's all these babies that are gone now, yeah. and they could have potentially been the people that could have changed the world, and that we're never going to know. I saw what you sent me, and definitely this, this means that he drugged you with with something that was not alcohol because it says narcotic or anesthetic. So I definitely would, would try to get your medical records for sure so that you can, I think even just mentally for you piecing the story together for yourself, I think would be helpful. Um, so, and then I was going to say like when, um, you know, the Webster's were going through like the house and video and everything. I think that's when I was like, yeah, they're going to have to do something. And I got interested in the story because everything that was laying around there is totally something he would do. And then I don't understand why they said, I remember at the beginning of the investigation, I remember them saying that it looked staged, like where the, I don't know if they meant where the bodies were or what, but everything that was in the house, somebody said they actually seen a syringe full of black, like substance. Mm -hmm. Was that heroin? I have a picture of it and we talked about that. It could, it could very well be. And so, and I even called that out because I think that they should test it. They should have tested it. I'm trying to be a good person here. I'm trying to put the two on the other foot. And I thought, well, maybe... Maybe he just pulled all that stuff out and maybe because everybody's like talking all this crap on Holly. And I said, well, maybe he did kill her. He did give her more bullets than the other people. So, you know, he was angry at her. Yeah. That, that, I mean, I'm not no <laughs> forensic analysis, but that's what I'm gathering from it. And so maybe he went back in and he's like, epic. And he just pulled all this stuff out that he had hid. But then I'm thinking like the chains that are bolted into the kitchen counter. What was that for? I'm hearing so much stuff now that I, I'm getting to where I don't even know what to believe anymore. So <laughs> I if I want to know anything, I... I'm not going to repeat what I get told, but I go directly to, right. you know, the Webster's and stuff because they're going to tell me what they want me to know and they're not going to tell me what they don't want me to know. So yeah. I do know that when I seen all that stuff in that house, I just knew Yeah, I don't have to investigate it to know that I knew that those girls were 97, probably percent sexually assaulted by that piece of shit. Like, I'm sorry to say that, but you could just tell by the stuff that was in there. And I don't know what like gummies would do to a kid, but if you're not, used to that kind of stuff and you eat enough of it, I'm sure you're going to get jacked up.
it, it impacts your ability to fight back and to resist. So, and I'm sure that was the motive for that. So, man, just really devastating. Well, Crystal, I appreciate you being here with us today and sharing this information with us. And I know that your story getting out there is going to be so instrumental to so many people. And I don't even think you realize the impact that it can make on people that you don't even know people who have been assaulted, who are suicidal people who, you know, parents who feel guilty for things that happened that, that honestly weren't in their control. And I think that you're speaking out and being willing to do that is such a powerful thing. And I really appreciate that you're doing that. And I appreciate that you're not just sharing your story in one place, like you're sharing your story. And I know a lot of people would probably say, oh, she's just out there trying to, you know, be famous or she's just trying to, you know, she's somehow trying to, to make something off of this. Actually, I haven't heard anything like that. And I'm like, there's been a couple people be rude, but even mm-hmm. if they did, I'm just, I, I wouldn't bother me too much. I take it with a grain of salt, mm-hmm. but I do want to say to anybody out there that's going through this, don't give up. There is, I have been through everything to possibly think of that most people would have probably gave up on, but don't, there is light at the end of the tunnel. If you've dropped out of school, go back, go get your GED, do all those things. And if you're feeling like you still have no one that nobody's listening, get on your knees and pray to God, because I guarantee you, he's going to pull you out of it. It's going to feel like he's not going to, but he will. So just don't give up and don't, don't feel guilty because bad things happen to good people all the time. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't. Not one bit. Mm. I appreciate this so much. It's so very powerful. I just want to tell like Joe Guest about his kids. Like, I just want to tell you how truly sorry I am. And, like, I'm sorry that you lost your babies and the Websters, Ashley, Justin, and Shannon, I know you miss Ivy so much. And I'm sorry. I wish I could have done more. All of you that lost your kids in this terrible tragedy, all the families, I'm sorry. He should have never been out of prison. So I'm sorry that I couldn't keep him there longer. And, and I know that that's not really my fault. But I'm just saying that if I would have known that he was actually released from prison, I totally would have showed up to your town and I would have tried to do something myself if I had to bring an army with me. Yeah. And you definitely in no way should feel, should feel any, any type of guilt. I think I just feel guilty because I lived through it with him. I'm not reliving my trauma in my head. I'm thinking about everything that those little girls had to endure and go through because I don't think that their stuff is back yet, but I guarantee you that I just feel like it's not going to come back pretty that he didn't, that he did horrible things to those kids. So I will say that you're a fighter. You're definitely a survivor. I believe you when you say you would have came back with an army. I really <laughs> believe that you would have. Please continue to keep sharing your message. Um, I think there's people out there that need to hear it, and it's going to help make other people stronger and help them come forward and, and help them change some of these laws and change some of this legislation that needs to be changed. This case has really motivated me to get involved, to help push some of this legislation. because I can't believe that these guys are allowed to do this. I can't believe that we allow this and that our system is so broken that people can get away with this and, and they feel comfortable getting away with it. We need to put a stop to it. And so I, I do really appreciate you. And I just want you to know I have a lot of respect for you and you inspire me. And I know you, you're going to inspire a lot more people, your story of survival. So thank you so much. I just don't ever want this to happen to anybody else ever again. This should have never happened to those kids. And I don't ever, something's got to change. Just, those four families. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to put some stuff together for Oklahoma. I want to send some stuff out nationally and I want to publish some information that can be helpful during this process where laws haven't been changed 
the program that I brought up earlier, the civil commitment, um, there's a national um, civil commitment that can be done. So even if you're in a state where they don't offer it, you can try to make that happen with somebody where it's not offered in the state. Basically, they'll do it at, at the federal level. And also anybody that's going through this, like, it's okay to love. Like, don't, don't be like me when it comes to trust issues. You're never going to be truly happy. I have horrible, horrible trust issues and such bad anxiety with people that I've had to learn to tell myself that not everybody has bad intentions and not everybody is always up to something. Let people love you. It's okay. Just be cautious. I struggle with that every day. Yeah, that's good advice. It's really good advice. Very good advice. So I appreciate you guys having me on here and yeah. if there's anything I can do, um, holler at me. Also here too, if there's anything that we can do to help you or, or, or to continue to share your story, definitely reach out to us and, and we want to be a resource for you. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to send you, um, just so you have it, I'm going to, I'm going to email you the, the different information that I pulled that's now not available for some odd reason. Yeah. yeah. I've um, heard that that wasn't available. That's why I grabbed a bunch of it and got it yeah. downloaded. Yeah. It's really odd for them to do that. So oh, they're going to say it's because he's deceased. Why do we need it? Just like the way the cops yeah. talk to Mr. Webster. He's got a lot I of, saw uh, that. he's got a lot of pullback because I would have lost my stuff. Yeah. Boy. I saw that yeah, and it was no disgusting. Idea. I'm glad we got it on video. Yeah, I, I knew. I think that's why I was so drawn to them because as soon as, I'm telling you, as soon as I met Justin, I was like, I, I said, I just want to grab Ashley and I just want to hug her neck. And then actually when I walked up to the property um, to actually meet, you know, Mr. Webster, he says, he's like this big dude. And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm Crystal. And he's like, and I swear his knees were just shaking. And he just put his arms out and just held me and just, cried and cried and it, it and really you, broke my you know like I know that they love their kids so much and I like as soon as I see anybody like saying anything bad about them people I am quick to like get on there like whoa we're losing focus of what's going on here mm -hmm. I mean these people had you know these kids have been to Jesse several times and they never you guys were letting them go to the school functions every day and you guys never knew either so it's, what does that make you right. none of you guys knew because nobody told you plus you know your your kids I can see how close Ashley's relationship is with Ivy and there's no way that if Ivy had been going over to that house and she saw something or experienced something that she wasn't going to come home and tell her parents. So she absolutely well, didn't know what she was walking into. So yeah, there's going to be some big, big laws changed and I'm not talking just in Oklahoma. I'm talking worldwide. So, but I appreciate you guys. And I feel like three years for McFadden to be out of prison was three years too long. We believe that all states should, one, have no tolerance, mandatory sentencing of a life or the death penalty. A brutal first degree murder has a lower impact than rape. Two, if mandatory sentencing cannot be put in place, at least initially, all states should be required to offer civil commitment programs. Civil commitment laws for sexual offenders, also known as sexually violent predator or sexually dangerous person statutes, allow for involuntary civil commitment of individuals convicted of sexual offenses following the expiration of their prison terms. Washington was the first state to enact a civil commitment law in 1990. There's 20 states today that have this program. The top 10 states for sexual assault in order are Alaska, Arkansas, Michigan, South Dakota, Nevada, Colorado, Nebraska, New Mexico, Oklahoma, 
and North Dakota. Oklahoma was number nine. They're number nine in sexual assaults. Alaska is more than double even the second state. Number three, sex offenders should not be allowed to live in a home with a child regardless of whether or not it is theirs. Even if it's their child, they should not be allowed to live in a home where there are children, period. Four, a marriage license should not be authorized when the non-sex offender has children and disclosure should be required. And five, mandatory notification for the survivor, for the law enforcement agency in the area where they're going, and for the schools in the area. Those should all be mandatory. And in fact, there should be a trigger where you cannot release somebody until certain things have been done. You should have to be able to say they're in the sex offender registry. The schools have been notified. You should have to clear all those flags before you let somebody step out of that jail cell. Awareness and education are two very critical aspects of prevention and mitigation. One, know both your states and the National Sex Offender Registry and use it. Two, trust your parental instincts. You have those for a reason. Three, advocate in your state for laws that protect the community and not the offender. Four, if a violent sex offender is due to or has been released in your state, advocate for them to be civilly committed under federal law. And then five, have open and honest conversations with your children about what manipulation is, what types of behavior are acceptable, have a plan for bad situations, even something such as a code word when your children talk to you, and let your kids know that nothing is their fault and to immediately discuss anything uncomfortable to you so that you can address it, even if they're questioning it. Sex crimes are the most despicable and antisocial crimes that an individual can commit, superseded only by murder. This is amplified when the crime is against a child. We have allowed sex crimes, from sexual assault to statutory sex crimes, to be seen as more acceptable than murder by the weak sentences and sometimes even the lack of charges that are applied to criminals like Jesse McFadden. Statistically, we know that sexual predators are rarely caught, but when they are caught, and when they are released from jail, the likelihood of recidivism is almost a certainty. It's time to begin holding sexual offenders and sexual predators accountable by mandatory jail sentences, with no time off for good behavior. Good behavior should have kept you out of prison. It's too late for good behavior to save you from a life sentence, or more preferable, a death sentence, as Governor DeSantis has held pass in Florida. This is the type of legislation that needs to be passed in every state. As we work to shore up the laws against sexual crimes, we need to send a message to all sexual predators so that they know that they will no longer be given leniency. They will not be welcomed in our communities and they will not be permitted to continue to victimize our children, our sisters and brothers, our mothers, our fathers, our friends, and our coworkers. Enough is enough is enough. And that's a wrap on today's investigation, fellow detectives. If you found this episode both enlightening and captivating, then please subscribe to our podcast show and our Patreon. Leave a review and hit that like button. Share our podcast with others and engage with us on our website and social media platforms. 
You can find us on all major podcast platforms as well as our website at www.bodyofcrimepodcast.com where you can access all of our episodes and bonus content, including valuable resources. By expanding our community, we believe we can make a greater impact in our pursuit of truth and in shedding light on crucial cases. If there's a case that you'd like for us to cover or a personal story you'd like to share, please don't hesitate to contact us through our website. We always welcome your feedback and suggestions. Until next time, stay sharp, and thank you for tuning in to the Body of Crime Podcast. Podcast. Bye.